Hello, people of us. It's Sunday. It's time for the bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com, and it's just myself and the lovely producer Val. Hello. Uh, Ninfa is away at Atlantis, and Dal is away on adventure. So uh, it's just us. So uh, we're going to be a little treat for you because it's Father's Day. We're going to do, be doing all of all of the fantasy books with heroic fathers in them, by which we mean. Neil Gaiman's Fortunately the Milk and Rod Dolls Danny the Champion of the World. If you think we've got that wrong and you think there's more heroic father books out there, then then please, please contact us on social media. We're available on Twitter at um, Radio Bookworm. We're available on Facebook at Radio Bookworm. And we're also on Tumblr as Radio Bookworm. We're also on Mixcloud as Radio Bookworm. And possibly on your cat's Wi Fi as Radio, <laughs> Radio Bookworm. Bookworm. Also available on iTunes. We are available on iTunes, thanks to the lovely Starburst magazine. Uh, where we'd love it if you would like, follow and subscribe to us. So, um, coming up next, we're going to do a little bit of news. And if you want to engage with the station on social media, then Fab Radio International is on Twitter and Facebook. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fabrino International. For seven years, The Ripman Show has been playing and supporting new, unsigned, and emerging music. You can now listen to the show here and exclusive to Fab Radio International. Every Monday, 7 till 9. So the other thing we also have on the show is we'll have Howard Shapiro at about halfway through the show. We'll talk to Howard about his range of books. Uh, lovely chap, very, very lovely chap. Um, very interesting conversation we had there. So, yeah, book news. Um, when what have Amazon done wrong this week, Ed? <laughs> Tell us. Well, it's, the, the fight continues. Two, two large companies are still beating each other up. And it's 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 a bit like... You know, when you were at school and the two school bullies had a fight, and you're standing there, standing there watching, going, "Yeah, just beat each other up." Yeah, you're, you're sli- sli- silently applauding and just just waiting to see who wins. Um, Neil Gaiman, bless his heart, has uh, spoken, uh, and he's said pretty much what we've said, pretty much what a lot of other people have said, which is support your local bookstore. It's a simple answer, support your little, little bookstore. He hasn't come down against Amazon, he hasn't come down against against Hatchet. He's pointed out that they're two very large companies beating each other up and, you know, meh. Um, the, these sort of things happen, that's business. Uh, but support your local bookstore. Um, if you care at all about this issue, support your local bookstore. Find where your local indie store is and also support your local library because local libraries are fantastic. Um, also in book news... Uh, the fantasy adventure game book series Destiny Quest has been cancelled. Uh, according to Michael J. Ward, his words are it's been cancelled. I believe Gollum's words would be roughly along the lines of we haven't renewed it. Um, they, they haven't picked it up. They haven't commissioned him, commissioned him for a fourth book. Well, the first three were great. I really like the first one. Um, if you're not an adventure game book person... Then, then you're not an adventure game book person. Making fantasy are the ones that most people know. But essentially, it's a book which is written in short paragraphs, and you make your choices rather than the writer making the choices. You make the choices. The thing I liked about Destiny Quest, and the thing that I thought was really clever, is when you died, you went back to a map page and you picked a mission. So you could do multiple modules. It was modular. You could do mm. different missions and different adventures. Oh, that's clever. But the thing was, it's a slight spoiler, but it's kind of on the blurb at the back, so it's not really yes, a matter Yes, that's spoiler. not a spoiler. Uh, it turns out that every time you actually die, you actually died. There was a whole, oh. there was a whole reality-twisting, death magic thing going on. That sounds as, a bit weird. As part of the plot. It make, makes perfect sense towards the end, when you're like, I am the necromancer, ha! sort of thing. But there's a lot of punching of zombies in, in the first one. Um, I really like them, I really rated them. Um, I'm very surprised it's been cancelled because I thought it was much bigger than it was. But it kind of it got a lot of promotion. The first one got a load of promotion, and the kind of the rest of them not so much. And you need you got a, you need promotion, don't you, in this day and age? 
So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a crowded bookshelf out there. It's a, it's a pity, but it's not as if fighting fantasy and adventure game books are dead. No. Um, also in bit news, uh, details of the fighting fantasy convention in London has been announced. Um, you can go onto our Facebook page to find out more details and also possibly buy tickets. Um, it's fifty quid is the thing. It's fifty quid for a one day convention. There's a lot of cool stuff going on there, but it is fifty pounds. You get a big box full of toys. You get a backpack full of goodies. Oh, but it is, a, you know, it's a one day fifty quid in London. So you've got to get there as well in September. Busy, busy convention season. I think it's September. Do, do, does these days does the convention scene ever actually end? It doesn't really. Uh, uh, there's, there's always. I mean, it kind of closes. It slows down over Christmas, but they, are, you know, they are winter cons. This sort of thing. They are. They are little things. It's like. It's like the. Um, Going off the topic of books, it's like the UK LARP season. The UK LARP season, live action role players, doesn't really end, they just go indoors. Yeah. Um, can, can we talk about the Royal Society Winton Prize for Science books? Is that genre and cult enough? Go course? on. Uh, tw- uh, the uh, long list has been unveiled for the Royal Society Winton Prize for Science. Um, some of these sound uh, interesting, if this is your sort of thing. Uh, Serving the Reich, the struggle for the soul of physics under Hitler. Ooh. Yeah, by Philip Ball. Uh, the Cancer Chronicles, Unlocking Medicine's Deepest Mystery, by George Johnson. Those are both published by the Bodley Head. Um, Stephen Hawking, obviously. My, my Brief History uh, is in the running. Apparently the prize is £25,000, so that's all right. That's not bad at all. Yeah. Good for, for a big prize. Well, well yeah. Um, also on the list is John Brown's Seven Elements That Have Changed the World, Iron, Carbon, Gold, Silver, Uranium, Titanium and Silicon. Uh, Tesla, Inventor of the Electrical Age, by W. Bernard Carlson. Uh, what a Wonderful World, One Man's Attempt to Explain the Big Stuff, by Marcus Chow. <laughs> uh, Dice World, Ooh, Science and Life in a Random Universe. Uh, and The Compatibility Gene, by Daniel M. Davis. Oh, blimey, keeps going on. Uh, the Perfect Theory, by Pedro G. Ferreira. Mary Roach's Gulp, Adventures of the uh, Alimentary Canal. Uh, Marley- Elementary, my dear Watson. Alimentary, uh, A-L-I-M-E-N-T-I. T-A-R-Y. Uh, yeah. Marlene Luke's Paleo Fantasy, What Evolution Really Tells Us About Sex, Diet and How We Live. Uh, and Mark, oh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, Meodinwicks. Mm. Stuff Matters, The Strange Stories of the Marvelous Materials That Shape Our Man-Made World, and I apologise for pronouncing your name very badly. They sound, they sound really interesting. They do, some of them sound very interesting. I suspect you'd go for the one that's got a terrible pun in the name. Well, yes. I mean, I like the old the old joke from a James Bond movie, mm. where they're they're trying to work out where he smuggled the diamonds, and he says, <laughs> "Elementary, my dear Watson." Um, oh, but I mean, if you if you're not into straight science books, a lot of those also will serve as massive inspiration mm. if you plan to write your own. I mean, the science of the Reich is something that's been done to death by an awful lot of alternate fiction mm. authors. Um, but stuff like you know stuff like um, it's, it's they're all about elements. making trying to make science accessible, aren't they? For I likes re- of me, certainly who, who struggle with science. I recognise a handful of those names because I like Popsi. I'm a fan of Popsi books. Um, talking of award ceremonies, the Gemmels were announced. <laughs> um, the opening award for the evening was the Ravenhood Award for Best Cover Art, and that was run run by Les Edwards. Uh, no, <laughs> it was presented by Les Edwards to Jason Chan for Mort Lawrence's Emperor of, the F- Emperor of Fawns. Um, Jason also becomes the first recipient of the new Ravenhot Award, um, which was designed by Lee Blair last year. Um, let's see, the second award was, well, the final award, which was the Legend Award, was also given to Mark Lawrence for Emperor of Fawns. Th- there's a thing that I have noticed when it comes to cover awards and... Uh, book awards. Quite often, if a lot of people are voting for an author, they'll also vote for the same cover because they know the cover and they like it. it you know, people. It, I, I don't think that's as forgivable, to be honest. Because okay, if you haven't read all the books in the, in the, the Gamble Awards, is a publicly available award ceremony, so anyone can vote for it. So it's a public choice, which is interesting. Yeah. It's kind of nice. The thing is. That, though I can, though I can forgive someone going, oh my, my, my word, Matt Lawrence is up for uh, for an award. I'm definitely going to go go and vote for him. We should at least then go and take a look at the other covers, because 
you're forgiven for not reading all the books on the nominated the yeah, shortlist. But, but picking a cover would be relatively easy. That's just a question of looking at them, isn't it? And and people don't. And I know I know for a fact that people don't. And it's annoying. Uh, the other <laughs> award, of course, is the Morningstar Award, which was for debut novel, and that went to Brian McKellen for The Promise of Blood, which is the first book in the ongoing Powder Mage trilogy. I've not read any of the Powder Mage books. I've certainly not read The uh, Promise of Blood, but it does sound good. Also, I like the idea of a powder, powder mage, which has got nothing to do with a mage with makeup. But no. anyway. um, yeah, it was a good night. Um, apparently, lots of people had a lot of fun. It was at the Magic Circle in London. Oh. And none of the, none of the uh, awards mysteriously disappeared. <laughs> Over there, behind you. Um, also, also in final, final, final news item. Um, Square One, a title uh, I was doing off Conan Doyle and Jack the Ripper, uh, non-fiction and lifestyle, uh, Square One Publishers, a house focused on non-fiction lifestyle titles, is looking to bring into the true crime category, but with hybrid non-fiction works that look at the relationship between Sherlock Holmes' author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the identity of the serial killer, Jack the Ripper. Um, the, the strange case of, of Dr. Doyle, A Journey into Madness and Mayhem, um, it basically intends to explore this, so it's an interesting, you know, a place that, that does kind of, you know, realistic stuff. So it's really stepping into the world of genre, kind of interesting stuff. Shall we? Um, yes. Shall Across the world, 24 hours a day, this is Fab Radio International, this is Fab Radio International. You're listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International, uh, in case you hadn't worked that out from the various trailers. It's worth pointing out that if you go onto our Facebook page, you can also find a link to our webcam, where you can watch us live if you're indeed listening to us between the hours of 12 and 1pm GMT on a Sunday. Chances are that you aren't, however. Um, so, hello everybody. We're going to talk about... It's Father's Day, so we're going to talk about Father's Day-related books. Um, so the first one is Neil Gaiman's Fortunately the Milk, um, which is a little bit of magic for us because we met, myself and producer Al, met Neil Gaiman and this particular book I'm holding in my hand is signed um, to producer Al. It's producer Al's copy, so if I do anything wrong right now, she will kill me. <laughs> Should we mention that he also, you know, read a fair chunk of it out? Yes, he event. did. He got about halfway through. The, it's uh, illustrated by Chris Riddell, who we've talked about on the show before. We talked about the scavengers uh, uh, But uh, But only if you're in the UK. If you're in the US, it's, it's illustrated by Scotty Young. Is it really? Apparently so. Oh, blimey. Well, they've missed out because Chris Riddell's awesome. Mm. Uh, this, this, that is according to um, the TV Tropes page. So if that's wrong, we apologise. Well, the thing is, Scotty Young is also awesome. He does... Um, he has the, he's done a lot of mo- uh, Rocket Raccoon cartoony stuff for for Marvel. Oh. And it's really cute and it's really fun. But it's a, very much a different art style. It's a very different sort of anarchy there. But uh, anyway, the copy I have in my hand um, is the Bloomsbury edition. Um, and it's illustrated by Chris Riddell. Um, so you should get that one because we like Chris Riddell. Mind you, we like Scotty Young as well. He's awesome as well. I, 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 have, I have to say, I think if you live in America, you probably don't have much choice <laughs> as to which one you get. Amazon.co.uk. Oh, you know, no, 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 no. We can't recommend them, surely. Or, or, or possibly your local English independent bookstore. You can always you can always email a, a, a UK-based independent bookstore and say, please send me the Neil Gaiman Chris Riddell version because I want to put it next to my Neil Gaiman and Scott Young version. Mm. It, it does raise, of course, the question of what you get if you happen to be in, I don't know, Australia. That's a good question. Mm. We should we should ask one of our Australian listeners. Hi. Good uh, eye. Don't do that. I apologise. I'm sorry. So, um, yes, get in touch and tell us what your copy of Fortunate The Milk is. Of course, if you've never heard of the book, you're just sitting there going, well, hang on, you haven't told me anything about this book first, so tell me, why should I have it? Right. The version I have in my hand is Chris Riddell's artwork, 
Chris O'Dell also did the Scavenger Zoid stuff, um, which we really liked. He um, has this very kind of expressive, tongue-in-cheek style. One of the things I love is that the dad in this looks a lot like Neil Gaiman. A lot like Neil Gaiman. Um, and the plot, essentially, is... <laughs> uh, the plot, as it goes, is there, there, there is a... There is mum, there is dad, there are some kids. Um, the mum bustles her way out of the house... In a kind of, she's off for a week. She's, she, she's off to a work conference, I believe. Yes, and she she goes through the list and keeping in with the trope that mm. dads are a bit incompetent. Yes, <laughs> she 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 runs this massive list of things past him, and then he repeats it all verbatim. It's completely, completely, and utterly on the ball. He knows exactly what he's doing. Knows exactly what he's talking about. And everything goes fine, and everything goes smoothly, and everything is entirely, entirely fine. Except for a couple of days later, when the kids are sitting down to, to have their Cheerios, to have their, their breakfast cereal and their, their appropriate amount of maize and cornstarch and other, other sugary products, and um, there's no milk. So the dad goes out to go and get the milk, and he comes back a substantial period of time later. And the kids are like, well, where have you been? Where have you been? And he relates to them the story of his fantastic adventure where he gets scooped up after purchasing the milk. He gets scooped up on a long, long, extravagant adventure which includes pirates, includes Moby vampires, includes dinosaurs. Includes <laughs> so, uh, time-travelling, highly advanced technology dinosaurs, <laughs> I should point out here because there's a whole thing. Features the Eye of Splod, which, of course, is a volcano, Splod being a volcano, uh, a volcano god. Um, and Splod, or Splod who explodes, you see, Splod. Uh, and all the way through, the, the, the good father here hangs on to the milk. And the, the gag, of course, every once in a while, is for him to go, fortunately, the milk. was fine. Um, all the way through. It is, it's, got, it's got dinosaur cops in it. It's got time-travelling dinosaur cops. It's got an entire thing where the milk itself is used to save the universe. These are not spoilers. It's sort of... Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. It is completely and utterly ridiculous. Neil Gaiman has had, clearly had an awful lot of fun <laughs> uh, writing this. And it's it's a children's book. Whether he worked dad in it in his father's day, so we thought we'd talk about this one. Um beautifully illustrated very very silly there's not one of the things with this book is the, there's really nothing to condemn it about it's quite hard to review in the fact that it's, I'm not saying it's perfect um, but it's a, it, it's a wonderful piece of whimsy and if you don't like giving your children whimsy then there's <laughs> probably something wrong with you but for the rest of us I mean if you're an adult it's like but I don't have any nieces nephews godchildren or children of my own Mr. Fortune I have no interest in this book well to be honest, if you have a soul, you probably do, <laughs> because it's it's fun. If you're a Neil Gaiman completist, then you should get it. If you have kids in your life, and most of us do, then you should get it. If you just like feeding your own inner child some sweeties, then you should get it. Mm. Otherwise, avoid it, because it's a fearless piece of whimsy. But, but it's it, lovely. It's really sweet and lovely. If you use the words frivolous piece of whimsy regularly, then don't <laughs> get it because you won't enjoy it. Um, unless, of course, you work in a place called frivolous piece of whimsy, at which point, I suppose. But it is completely lovely um, and a lot of fun. It's got globby green... Uh, I'm reading out the back here. Globby green aliens, neglectically pirates, angry volcano gods demanding human sacrifice. And most definitely not a time-travelling hot air balloon, balloon uh, piloted by the... Wonderful Mr. Skeg, um, who might be actually a lady, I believe. Brilliant Professor Skeg, even. Um, I believe that Jenna changes halfway through. Does it? Um, Does he forget? And then when he's telling the story, he gets very confused. Uh, Professor Skeg, after pages and pages of being referred to as he, is addressed as Madame by the Dino Cops. Uh, you see, it's quite it's quite hard to, to identify the gender of a giant lizard. Absolutely. And it's one of the yeah, things. I think it's one of those you ask politely. <laughs> exactly, it just feels a bit rude. One of the things that I love is it's got uh, vampires. They meet vampires. 
Uh, it's that sort of thing. It's just very silly. And um, the Christopher Dell version, I have him. I, I want to see the Scott Young version now because I want to see how he's done this. Um, but there's a list of the vampires, and we have Nosferatu, <coughs> Countess Wallery, Pale and Interesting Edvard, and Twilight Tina. And um, yeah, you can tell exactly which books they're having to go at there. But um, bless, bless indeed, a lot of them. I think we've said, I think we've exhausted everything we can say about. So, so who is that published by and things? It's published by Bloomsbury. Um, it's by Neil Gaiman. It's called Fortunately the Milk. It's one of his many children's books that people have. Uh, it's one of those things that I find fascinating about Neil Gaiman is because he is a blockbuster writer. And he's had the opportunity, even though mostly he's always specialised in the darker side of things. And when people go, well, come on, darker side of things, Sandman's not that dark, no, read it again. Seriously, it's quite dark. Um, Death is one of the major characters. It's a fairly dark series. Um, American Gods is fairly dark. And then he writes stuff like the Chew books, which were about a naughty panda. And he wrote the Chew books because he was told that you can't really write books about pandas for the Chinese market so he wrote one and it did very well um, it's kind of to make the point but yes he does He does whimsy very well he does kids stuff very well indeed as well um, we do review a lot of Neil Gaiman, we've done quite a bit of Neil Gaiman on the show so far so I think we might have to give it a little bit of a rest for a while um, we might do a, a Sandman special at some point but not for some time um, but yeah, it's, a, it, it's that it's that bloke who writes stuff. All the technical jargon. Um, so I got to talk to Howard Shapiro, who is a lovely chap. Who um, he's on he's hockey for life on Twitter, which gives you a rough idea of the content of his books. And um, we had a great chat with him. So um, en- enjoy our conversation with um, again on this Father's Day special with Howard Shapiro, who who is himself a dad. Embrace the alternative with Fab Radio. Howard Shapiro, welcome to the Bookworm. Thank you so much. Great to be here. And for those who don't know you or don't know your work, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? Sure. Sure. Uh, well, I am uh, 48. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, by trade, I'm an accountant, uh, but uh, I have done uh, some books on the side, um, seven books. Uh, and uh, I did uh, four kids' books. Uh, I, I'm sorry, six books, actually. I'm jumping ahead. Uh, I did uh, four kids' books, a uh, graphic novel that came out in 2012, and uh, this year we have the sequel coming out, um, uh, also a graphic novel. And uh, uh, the company I work for is um, a video production uh, facility, but we also started a publishing company. So I sort of run that as well, uh, called Animal Media Group. So... Uh, uh, I've been doing this for about uh, about seven years now, uh, seven or eight years, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, the books have uh, have done uh, done really well, and it's just been a really great experience uh, to do them. So it's really been a lot of fun. What's in your books for the non hockey fan? Yeah, that's a great question. And and uh, the the one thing about the books, um, the, the hockey books at least, is that I always used um, hockey as sort of a uh, conduit to talk about real life stuff. Um, you know, the, the first one I did was uh, about uh, it was about uh, about six months or so after my dad had passed away, and it was really uh, just giving me an opportunity to talk about you know and uh, sort of give my sons a uh, a uh, you know who, they were five at the time when he passed away, just to give them sort of the, a little background on you know the relationship that I had with him, uh, and also just that I. I thought that you know the the thing about sports or you know hockey to me specifically is that it can it has the opportunity to um, you know teach lessons about life, uh, but also bring people together, people who may not you know necessarily um, you know uh, be friends or whatnot, uh, could bring strangers together, that kind of thing for a common goal. I mean, over in the UK, for example, or now starting with the World Cup and soccer you know, for, as an example, or football here uh, in the States and hockey also. Um, it, it was something that brought my dad and myself together, and uh, it was uh, sort of the conduit that did that. And we had some really wonderful times together uh, because of hockey. I was a very terrible player. Uh, you know, I wasn't a good player at all. 
but that really had no bearing on it. And, um, it never, it never, it never really comes up in the books either. I mean, even though they have, there is a theme or that the hockey's used, really, it's this, the stories aren't about who scores or who wins the game or whatever, uh, necessarily. Uh, they always sort of play a background and the, the, it's really the game is, um, they use the game as a, as a conduit to focus on, on real life issues and, uh, uh, friendships and, and things like that. So, uh, um, it's just, it, 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 that was the thing. Again, being a, not the best player in the world, uh, it, it, it just taught me a lot of stuff, um, that I was able to apply, uh, later in life, um, as far as relationships and friend, friendships and, uh, being part of a team and all those kind of things. So, um, I kind of use it as a conduit to talk about those issues, which, um, uh, and, 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 you know, it's able to appeal to people. Uh, you know, if I was just writing a straight book about friends or whatever, it might not, uh, have the appeal that, well, oh, this is a hockey book or it looks like a hockey book. So it's sort of used that way also to kind of reach a, an audience that I wouldn't be able to without, uh, without using it in that context. What challenges do you face when writing a children's book? You know, I, it's really, um, you know, the, the one thing I've always, even from the very first one that I did, it, it was always never to um, talk down to them, uh, to try even to younger children to, uh, to, you know, to um, not uh, pander or anything like that. I always wanted to say, you know, like the, the second one I did was about bullying, and um, it wasn't sort of like what my kids were bringing home at the time were like these stories about uh, butterflies or dinosaurs or whatever, and, and, you know, being used as a metaphor for bullying. And that, to me, I always thought that was kind of ridiculous because it doesn't really have any real life, um, you know, any real life uh, issues. I mean, you're talking about dinosaurs or animals or whatever, you know. Um, so the one, the story I did was like, you know, something that happened to me. And it's like, this is the way I was able to get out of that situation. Um, so I always try to, to um, not write to uh, talk down to, to children uh, or anybody reading a book, teens, with some of the later books. Uh, these are real life issues and, you know, trying to deal with them in a real life way, um, which is sort of the thing when I was growing up, you know, you'd watch television and, uh, you know, at the end of the half hour, you know, magically all the problems were solved. And uh, I just always kind of found that, you know, to be kind of bogus and, and not true to life. So um, so I wanted the, the writing to kind of, uh, you know, again, be realistic, talk to them straight and uh, hopefully get across um, you know, the points I was trying to hope, hopefully make and hopefully that they, they will understand. Tell us about Stereotypical Freaks, please. Yeah, that was actually um, the one thing, uh, you know, that I was always taught or uh, told is that, you know, write what you like. And um, so two things I really like, I've always loved in my life, have always been uh, rock and roll and hockey. Uh, music, but specifically rock and roll. And um, what I did there is I wanted to kind of, because I had done two hockey books before that, I wanted to kind of break away and do something different. And I also wanted to do a graphic novel. So um, I got the idea of doing a um, story about a band, um, but not, you know, kind of like, you know, an established band. And I just wanted to, again, use that same theme of how uh, different people can get together through different means. And uh, for a common goal or a common good. And that was, uh, what I used in this case was, uh, was music. And, um, so we had these guys who, uh, were four very different guys. Uh, two of them were friends. Uh, two, two of them actually were, uh, the, were uh, estranged friends. They had been friends from, uh, when they were real young and then they kind of broke away. And then the fourth member was a, uh, complete stranger. Uh, uh, what we call over here a foreign exchange student, which is when, Somebody um, comes to the U.S. for, for one year um, and uh, goes to school. And, and you know, we, uh, it seems, I'm not sure if it's still a big thing. It was a big thing when I was, um, when I was in school. But uh, anyway, they, uh, you know, the idea was uh, to uh, have a story about a band, but not necessarily a story completely about rock and roll um, or music, but just how it kind of brought them together. And, and, and then take it from there as far as the bond that they formed. Um, and uh, so that was a lot of fun to do, and it was my first uh, graphic novel, and uh, just had a great time doing it. Uh, the story, uh, the um, the uh, the one kid was based, uh, inspired by uh, a kid over here in Pittsburgh, uh, where I live, who had uh, passed away from cancer uh, at a very young age, uh, at 18. Uh, so he he was based or inspired by him, and uh, the others were really just 
you know, the other three members of the band were, you know, sort of myself as <laughs> uh, the one character and then uh, two guys that I was uh, friends with. So it was very easy to write and uh, it was a lot of fun. And it, it, it did, uh, it's done really well and I hope uh, it still has some legs and uh, um, can, because uh, I, I was really happy with it. I really loved it and um, had, had a good time doing it. What does the Animal Media Group look for in a novel? You know, that, that's, that's a, another excellent question because, uh, you know, when I was uh, pitching my books to agents and, uh, you know, this is going back, way back, you know, seven, eight, nine years ago, um, what I was, uh, you know, when I was pitching, uh, you know, these agents or, or the publishers would come back and say, well, you yeah, know, this might sound okay, but what's the audience? Uh, you know, you, you know wh where do you see this book going? Are you going to write other books? Things like that. And I was always kind of like, eh, you know, I kind of just took what they said at face value. But now on the other side of the fence, I realize that that's, that's really what we need. Um, you know, what we're looking for is, um, you know, stories that, uh, uh, that, that are, are not only great stories, but, you know, that, that have a, a potential, uh, sales potential or there's a market. Um, so, uh, you know, we're actively seeking authors. Uh, we, we have five books. Well, we will have, by the end of this year, we'll have uh, five out for sure, possibly a sixth. And um, so we're just really looking for, I really wanted to base or hope the company could have a niche sort of like uh, some of the uh, graphic novel publishers uh, uh, drawn in quarterly up in Montreal is one who I kind of look as our, um, you know, the inspiration where they, you know, you know, that it's a drawn in quarterly book, you know, and that's what I'd like Animal Media Group to eventually get to where it's kind of a, uh, a really cool, uh, interesting book, uh, and so we're also you know, hopefully we can brand the company that way. Um, but what, yeah, what we're really looking for are um, authors who hopefully have potential to, you know, not just do one book but several. And um, you know, we'd really like to uh, find um, some really good stories, um, which again have a a, a market potential. So um, yeah, if anybody's out there, feel free to look us up on the web and uh, and send us your um, uh, send us your stuff. Who's your biggest source of inspiration? Uh, well, you know, there's, you know, not one specific. Um, there's not one specific person. I mean, or I get a lot of my inspiration from uh, uh, actually song lyrics, uh, music, especially. Um, you know, that seems to do a whole variety of songs. I, I, what I've done with the books is, um, with two graphic novels at least, is put a recommended listening. Um, page uh, on the or, or listing on the title on the uh, chapter page so like chapter one chapter two chapter three they'll all have two or three songs or maybe one song that um when i was doing the writing of that part i was listening to so um music really um has a is a huge influence uh lyricists like uh uh bruce springsteen uh pete townsend ray davies um you know uh, some of the uh, younger groups also as well um, and as far as just the specific writing, what really got me into graphic novels was uh, when I read uh, Neil Gaiman's, uh, some of Neil Gaiman's books. Uh, so uh, that's, we always try and aspire to be uh, at that level, although we'll never, you know, I'm, I know I'll never get there, but uh, I would say he is probably uh, the uh, one true writing inspiration I have. And uh, um, you know, we always try and go f get at that level, but uh, I know it's impossible because he is. Um, one of the best out there. So, uh, you know, a whole different, uh, you know, uh, group of influences, but, uh, you know, I'd say really, uh, and I t say this when I go to uh, schools and do um, school visits, and um, I always say, you know, inspiration's everywhere. You know, you can be walking down the street, uh, conversation you have with your friends or whatever. Um, so it comes from all different. You, but as a writer, you really have to keep your ears uh, open all the time. So that's, uh, um, there's, there's lots of influences out there for sure. What would your ideal gig be? Uh, you know what, just to keep, uh, keep writing, um, you know, I, I, I really, uh, I have, uh, I, you know, at least I have two ideas, uh, the um, Stereotypical Freaks and then the Hockey Saint, which is coming out, and then I have the one more idea for the, uh, to finish off the trilogy, and uh, then I have uh, an idea that I just need to sort of flesh out, um, so uh, it, it would just be to, to write. Uh, I mean, I enjoy my work tremendously here, uh, what I do uh, as an accountant for, uh, for Animal Incorporated, uh, and I just like to kind of keep, keep going with uh, both, um, and hopefully uh, the writing uh, will come along. But, uh, um, yeah, there's not one specific one, but uh, I, I'd certainly love to uh, 
finish off the uh, trilogy and then uh, do the one story. Hopefully that's coming. And um, uh, just keep writing. Um, you know, it's, it's been a lot of fun and it's a really uh, wonderful thing to be able to uh, uh, have the opportunity to uh, to do. Howard Shapiro, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Ed. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for your time. This is Fab Radio International. Hello, gentle listener. We're back here on Fab Radio International. That was an interview with Howard Shapiro. Um, interesting. Lots of uh, good things he had to say there. Very interesting chat. Very lovely conversation. And uh, thanks, for Howard, for taking the time. So, uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about Danny, champion of the world. Yes, which is what this slot is. So, yes. Sorry, if I sound a little bit winded, it's because I've just had to run up and down the stairs. So... Give me a moment to catch my yeah. When we were putting together the uh, the show for today, uh, and we had the production meeting, because yes, gentle listener, we planned this stuff in advance. Um, we said, oh, let's talk about, because it's Father's Day, um, let's talk about things with fathers as a positive role model. And we both pretty much said straight away, Danny the champion of the world. Um, so, before before you start, you're like, hang on, this is a, this is a podcast, a podcast radio show slash thing that's all about genre books. How is Danny the champion of the world genre? Well, you haven't read it. Basically, almost almost every single Rodol book is a fantasy novel in some way or some shape or form. It's pure fantasy. It's a, a children's novel set in... Now, we were in the 1930s. Maybe. It's really not clear. Uh, Rodol has this kind of timeless, timeless feel to a lot of his stuff. Mm. It's one of the problems I always had with Matilda, the, the movie Matilda is Matilda was set in the modern day mm. and you sit there going that doesn't feel right because in my head it's kind of you know a past England a previous England yeah. a time gone just so you know I mean I, I guess my interpretation of his descriptions is it's, it's sort of 1930s-ish but the, the plot of Danny um Danny fought the world of his father and had looked after Danny ever since his mother had died when Danny was just four months old. Danny loved his father very much and his father loved him, which was when he was surprised to discover that his dad had a dark secret. We say dark secret. Turns out he's a poacher. Um, now, in it's not the only Rodol book where the main character runs around and thieves things. <laughs> Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox. Uh, which was turned into a movie that bore absolutely no resemblance to the novel. It bore a slight passing resemblance. Well, thematically, it had the same idea. Thematically, it kept that whole kind of, you know, capture your dreams uh, and also stick it to the man kind of style to it. Which is, which is always a, a, like an odd theme of Rodol's work, which is kind of book authority, ignore authority, authority figures in the form of grown-ups, normally in the form of ugly grown-ups with long noses who smell, um, you know, who smell with their long noses and also smell of, like, you know, unpleasant things. Um, They should be, they they should be, you know, ignored. Anyway, we've tangented as ever. So the plot is basically Danny and his dad and his dad's friends decide to get back at the local landowner who is a horrible, horrible human being. Um... And they hatch an elaborate plan to steal all the pheasants. It, it should be mentioned that the local rich landowner has threatened Danny's dad without any justification to do so. Oh, he's 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 well, he's um, he dislikes the fact that they live in a caravan. He dislikes the fact that they have a kind of a relatively free life. He's, Danny's dad is a person who is not the right sort. There, there is a without actually touching race at all, without actually touching any any of that issue. Doll handles prejudice because mm. he doesn't have to paint. You know, one of the genius things is he doesn't he doesn't actually have to paint the image. There, there's no there's nothing in the book that says that there's this. It's a white family. It says it looks like it yeah. on the cover. There's nothing there that says they are. So and, and does it? It does it ever actually specify exactly where it's set? Nope. Um, he he tends to be very, very careful and very cunning with his setting. Mm. 
in the sense that they could be anywhere, it could be anything. It just we know it's a leafy suburb. Uh, sorry, we know it's a leafy part of the world. We know. It's, yeah, know, I always states. thought it was sort of semi-rural. Sorry, I mean, I mean rural. It's semi-rural. We mm. know it's a leafy kind of rural area. We know the suburbs nearby. There's the bit that stands out, and I always remember this is the bit with the school teacher um, who beats Danny, which is, is very um, out of place in comparison to the rest of the book. It is, and if you've read Boy, which I haven't. Um, then you'll see that that it is semi autobiographical as well, mm. and there's a whole there's a whole bit about the te- teachers who enjoy fear. Actually, my opinions on corporal punishment don't confuse that with capital punishment. That's a bit too harsh for children. Mm-hmm. My opinions on corporal punishment come from Danny the Champion of the World. I've just realised because mm. you know there, there is no excuse to there is no excuse certainly for teachers to, mm. to hurt children. Uh, there's no excuse for anyone to hurt children. Unless it's kind of, don't set fire to yourself, don't set fire to your sister. At which point, you know, you do what you can. But apart from that, that's a slightly controversial opinion, but yeah, probably not. Um, if you have a, a discerning opinion or a, a, an against opinion or a full opinion, contact us on all social media, as per usual. I'm talking complete nonsense. Anyway, it's, are. It's, shocking. it's raw doll and it's lovely. It's absolutely great. We've said this about the last book as well. We were like, oh, it's lovely, it's a really, really nice book. The thing with Rodol is Rodol is a complicated person who puts very, very complicated ideas in a very simple way in his book. Uh, I had a librarian when I was growing up. I had a librarian who despised Rodol. She, she did, didn't agree with his politics. She didn't agree with him. Didn't like the way that he used snot in every single book he had. Didn't like the sense of humour. And most of all, and this was unfortunate for a children's librarian, didn't like children particularly. <laughs> and apparently she met him. And she had this pile of books for him to sign. And she went, The children of my library love you, but I can't stand you. At which point, Rodolfo went, Marvellous. <laughs> my work here is done. Is he not like one of the best selling children's authors? Yeah, of all he's time, got to yeah. be, hasn't he? Yeah. One of the interesting things, actually. Um, I mean, I had like, I had like, getting on for half a dozen of those when I was a kid. I'd be interested to know how many younger kids still read Rodolfo. Because he was very much, it feels like he was of our generation. But maybe he's of lots of other generations as well. Another interesting thing about Danny is it has the pitch for the big friendly friendly giant in it. I'll say big friendly giant again, shall I? It has the pitch for big friendly giant in its pages. The very first two chapters, they discuss the idea of the BFG. Just as Danny's father is reading a story to his children and it's the BFG. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I don't know and I'm trying to find out off the internet right now, but I would imagine his books are still popular because Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has been a movie relatively recently. It's now a hit West End show. Matilda. Matilda's been massive. Matilda's also a great book, but doesn't have a prominent father figure. No, no. The thing I like about the the dad in Danny's Chocolate in the World is he's not like this... He's not this platonic ideal of a father. You know, he's not this kind of this, this wonderful, wonderfully muscled, wonderfully perfect man who, of course, is very good with children. He's just a bloke who is kind and looks and loves his son and, you know, loves the people in his life. And he's flawed. I mean, he's clearly flawed. He's stealing pheasants. Um, and, again, you can go, well, where's the fantasy element here? Trust me, there are plenty of fantasy elements here. Uh, mostly to do with pheasants, mostly to do with things running away, and also that pernicious theft plot. But anyway, we will talk further about children's books and Father's Day coming up next. Across the world, the real alternative, fabradiointernational.com. So you're listening to The Big Worm on FabRadioInternational.com and we are talking about Father's Day. Uh, and we just looked up Roald Dahl on, uh, on, on popular information portal of the, the internet uh, and certainly Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is still selling by the truckload. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was, but it just feels, because his books are so intensely personal, it feels unique to each intent, you know, each person. But I guess, I guess it's that thing of... If if you had kids, and I know you don't, but if you had kids, 
you'd buy them old doll books and you'd sit there and go, kids, these books are great. And if I had kids, I'd do the same with them. And I guess everybody of our generation is doing that. Who's got kids going, you need to read this old doll book, kid. Because they are wonderfully specific and also they're specific in their messages and in their values. And they are generic in a lot of other bits and pieces. And they're generic enough so almost everyone can, can kind of fit in. Mm. I mean, Matilda. Matilda is the, the, you know, the book about the magic, literally about the magic of reading. Yes. And it is simply mar- marvellous. Danny's one of his earlier ones. He wrote that before BFG. He was saying it's got a picture of BFG in it. BFG's wasn't written at the time. He wrote BFG afterwards. The thing that kind of boils my head is the fact that Sophie in the BFG is Sophie Dahl. Mm. And, you know, you kind of, you look on a, the placard and their Sophie doll semi-naked. You see they're going that's, projected onto the houses of Commons, I believe. That, that that's Sophie. That that's Sophie from the BFG. That's um, that I feel uncomfortable. That's distinctly uncomfortable. But yeah, that, that that's Rodolphe. So question: Why aren't there more heroic fathers in genre novels? Because because the thing is that when we had our production meeting, we struggled to come up with anybody else after those first two of uh, Danny, the Champion of the World, and fortunately the Milk. We both went, um... Fortunately, The Milk was written specifically as a response to yes. the fact that Neil Gaiman couldn't think of one. Yes. And it's like, you know, he got to Danny Champion in the World and ran out, and we've done... I mean, we joked at the top of the show, we were saying, we'll do all of them, all two. That's... The, the, there's a problem there, listener. Um, there is... We have a problem. There, there is a, there, they are not enough fantasy novels or, you know, fantastic novels for children good men in them, good strong farmers I mean there's mm. good heroic guys in lots of books oh, goodness, there's loads of you know father figures but father's the hero, I mean Danny Champion of the World, Danny's really the, the hero Yeah, uh, it's just that the father is so significantly important in them and such a, such a big figure in his life because his father, you know, Danny's hero is his dad but off the top of my head it's the same with fantasy novels. You, 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 you know, it's always it's always a young chap, mm. or it's a young lady. There's never there's never a dad. He's never you know he's not got kids. There's, I suppose on one hand, your typical fantasy trope, you know, would we be as sympathetic as Frodo in Lord of the Rings if Frodo had abandoned two children and a wife to go off and, and you know <laughs> probably not. Mm. And it's kind of you know Sam's reward is certainly to have a family at the end of Lord of the Rings. Mm. Um. Even though, like, Ender's Game is a book that's all about children, it's a science fiction book that's all about children. There's no father figures in there. I mean, you, I suppose you could disagree, but I suspect you're wrong. Um, yeah, you, you get a lot of books, don't you, where it's the kids on themselves, and the parents might be mentioned but might be in the background, but aren't sort of prominently part of the story themselves. And then when you get older and you're reading grown-up books, and I put that in speech marks it tends to focus on women, which is good and is needed. Um, but there just seems to be a lot less stuff about men. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's somebody in publishing going, oh, well, blokes don't read fiction or something. I, I don't know. Uh, it just occurred to me, there is, there is another prominent science fiction father. There's a very famous science fiction father. It's Darth Vader. <laughs> is that a positive role model? Not really. Really, no. Um, one that's just popped through my mind um, is Sam Vimes from the latter part of the Discworld series. Towards the end, yeah. he, is, he is the strong, strong father figure. But again, it's you know, it's because that's the sort of person that Vimes is. Mm. You know, Vimes, Vimes will always always do his duty, and yeah, because uh, because love and fatherhood is part of his duty, that's why he does. Yeah, that. and uh, f- forgive me because I'm out of I'm I'm behind on the Discworlds at the moment. Um, I don't know if there's any stories that specifically focus on him being a dad with his child. Is uh, there? Yes. Um, oh, it's the most recent one. Someone's probably screaming at the radio right now. The one of the goblins. Oh, it's a very recent one. Uh, snuff. Snuff has little Sam in it. Uh, Fud also has little Sam in it. Now, Fud, little Sam is being born. Yeah, is is there not one where Sam Vimes is trying to get a toy for his son or something? Or am I just imagining this? He's got, he's got slash giving Toe Pratchett his next idea. No, he's going. Sam is uh, Sam Vimes is going through um, a series of dark events, 
and the point of Sam Vimes is Vimes is always on the edge mm. and there's always a point where he could become a tyrant and he can see the line because he is the thin blue line that's mm. the entire you know it's the metaphor made real and he's clutching this child's toy and he's just you know he's clutching this thing so he can um, stay sane um, and so he can stay you know on it mm. um, but yes you know, and he's just basically trying to trying to keep his his head together. Yeah. Okay. We're just about out of time. Um, we are. I mean, if you're a young author, or if you're a new writer, and you're looking for ideas, strong fathers, strong fathers, come on, strong fathers, because we can think of many, many strong mothers. It's a trope. Strong mother figures all the way, right back to the Bible. Strong father figures, not really. We will be back after this sting. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. And it's goodbye for me. And it's a goodbye from producer Al. So bye. Uh, once again, if you can catch us uh, on station social, social media for Fab Radio International at Twitter and Facebook, the Bookworm social media on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, all of them are the Radio Bookworm. Listen again later on Mixcloud or iTunes. Please like, subscribe, and follow us. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International, presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A. L. Johnson.